0: Father and our God, it is always an honor when we, as your children, can assemble ourselves to worship you. What makes it special is that we all have the opportunity to call you Daddy. That has always made me feel special as a Christian, because I get to call you the sovereign creator of the universe, Daddy. Tonight I pray that we would get a clearer picture of who you are, the extent of your love for us, and how we as your children ought to love each other because of your love for us. And so as we begin this message, as I begin this message, Lord, whatever it is that you uh, would have me share as you have impressed on my heart a number of words, I pray that as I say share that you would help those in the audience to be receptive to what it is you want to say. I pray that we would all be drawn closer to you, that we would be the brothers and sisters in Christ that we ought to be because of you being our dad so I commit this time to you again I thank you for the opportunity to to share and I'm just grateful for for this privilege I dedicate myself and this time to you and the words that you would have me share get glory for yourself my father in Jesus name amen When I last spoke to you, my topic was centered around the Lord's Supper. I started out with a historical overview of the origin of the Lord's Supper, the events on the night the Lord's Supper was instituted, and ended with Paul addressing ungodly behavior and disunity during the communion service in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul goes on in chapter 12 uh, to emphasize love for one another and unity among believers while also teaching on spiritual gifts and their purpose in the body of Christ. He ended the chapter by emphasizing a desire for the greater gifts but wanted to refer them to something much more important, something that truly reflects the heart of Christ and says in the last verse, now I will show you a more excellent way, which brings us to chapter 13, where I want to speak from tonight, at least for a portion of my message. And then I go, you'll see I go into several other portions of scripture, and as Anthon mentioned, talking about the three different types of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul shows us what he means by the most excellent way. Now, for many years, I have, and I've heard, and I'm sure you as well, have heard the Scripture read at weddings, as if to suggest that this text addresses specifically marriage in general. Now, certainly some of these principles would apply to marriage, especially the verses 5 to 7 in 1 Corinthians 13. But to emphasize or limit it to marriage only could only be described as a misunderstanding of the passage. Notice now uh, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. In other words, Paul is saying, if I have the gift of tongues, or no matter how gifted a speaker, preacher, or teacher I am, if I do not have love, or if it doesn't emanate from a heart of love, or if I do not have love for those who are, I'm speaking to, he says, all I'm doing is making noise. A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul then goes on to list each of the gifts that he had taught on in chapter 12. And in each one, he says, if they are not used or in the, in the exercising of that gift, if it does not flow from a heart of love, I'm only making noise. Or if the gift as you're exercising it, if it is not motivated by love, no matter which gift he's referring to, if it, is that, if it does not come from a heart of love, Paul says, what does it amount to? What he's simply saying is, love should motivate us. And each gift, whatever, however each of us as Christians have been gifted, it should flow always from a heart of love he uses in that passage wisdom knowledge faith healings miraculous powers prophecy distinguishing between spirits interpretation of tongues and he said as 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 wonderful as it may be to have the ability to speak in tongues or to distinguish between spirits or to interpret tongues he says even though people would aspire to have those gifts what good are those gifts if it's not motivated by love. Paul is teaching something that is very, very important. And as I was going through this, it's amazing how my mind went back to when I spoke, I think it was on the 15th of of last month, Pastor Fowler spoke two Sunday mornings ago. He touched briefly on on what I shared. Uh, This afternoon in a meeting, uh, we had an opportunity to talk about uh, something that Thompson had proposed, and it you, she used some of the same scriptures that I'm speaking on tonight, and I and I had to draw a, a, a reference to it because I believe God is he wants to teach us something. He wants to remind us of just how important love is among Christians and fellowship ought to be among Christians, and so Pastor Fowler, I. I spoke on it briefly on the 15th. Pastor Fowler came two Sundays later and touched on it. It was mentioned in our meeting today and here I am speaking relatively on the same thing. I think God is trying to get across to us that love is still uh, an extremely important part of the life of every believer. Why is that? Because God is? He's the source of love. Every aspect of love that we as people have, especially his children, born again Christians, he is the source of that love. And as you'll see shortly, he expects us as his children to reflect that. Why? Because he says, and you'll see it in a little while, all men will know. Will know what? That ye are my disciples. How? When you have love one for another what is he saying love among brothers and sisters in christ reflects the heart of christ so when you see that evident among each other we are demonstrating likeness. that's what he's saying and so love he says should be the motivating factor in the exercising of the gifts that he has given us and what was the purpose of these gifts To edify the body. My gift ain't no use to me if I don't use it for Paul. Paul gives ain't no use to him if it's not used to help Anton. Anton's ability to sing ain't no use to him if he don't sing. If he have the gift of singing but he hum instead of singing, what good is that to us? So God has given each of us a gift and he expects us to use that gift. But in the exercising of that gift, it must be motivated by love for who? Us or each other? Exactly. And so that's, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is teaching that true unconditional love, as God intends it, characterizes us as Christians. Therefore, each Christian using the gifts he or she has been given must be motivated by love. Now, Jesus himself uh, confirms that because in in John, let's uh, put it down too quick. In John 13, he says, A new command I give you love one another as I have loved you, by this all men. Notice the standard. He says, Love one another, how? As I have loved you. Now, that's the standard he has set for us. Why, is that? Why do you think he set a standard? Because as I said earlier, when we love one another as Christ loved us, we're doing two things. We're showing that we love him, but we're also showing that we are of him and we love others as we have been commanded. He says, so love one another as I have loved you, and in so doing, all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. So we're being obedient when we love as, uh, as I said earlier, I would like to speak about three different types of love. Many psychologists teach that love is not a feeling. I mean, love is not a decision. Uh, and even though that is true, the word love, whether it's agape, phileo, or eros, it is never devoid of feeling. Let me say that again. Many psychologists teach that love is not a feeling, but a decision. And even though that is true, the word love, whether agape, phileo, or eros, it is never devoid of feeling. We all have have the basic need to feel loved. As humans, we have that basic need to feel loved. And even when we selfishly pretend we don't need others, we still need to feel loved. However, as Christians, we should always strive to mature in Christ likeness so that our lives uh, become a lifestyle. So that in our lives, love becomes a lifestyle. Unfortunately, the word love is used so loosely today that sadly, many people would express their love for ice cream the same way they say they love God. And that's unfortunate. Because love today is thrown around. And I'm sure you have heard it. I'm sure you have seen or heard people say how they love this and they love that. But they would say, oh, I love ice cream. But at the next side of the mouth, they would say, yes, and I love God. That is not how it's supposed to be. Listen to um, Romans, Romans 12, um, sorry, 1 4 and 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Agape love is God's love. It's from the Greek word, this love Um, is unconditional and sacrificial. It is different from the other references of love in the New Testament because of its nature and character. God, as I said earlier, is the source of love and his love is something we did not deserve, could not earn through human effort. It was his divine will alone that we as a fallen people become the recipients of his love. And because of his love, because he loves us so, we must love, not only love one another, but love even our enemies. And that is, what we see in Romans 12, 20, where if you, if you, it says, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. God expects us to do that. Now, we may not feel uh, our love for our enemy that we do that. We do it out of obedience because of our love for God. But he says, even with our enemies... We feed them or we give them something to drink if they are hungry and thirsty. And then uh, the, the first John 4, which I, I jump ahead of myself a little bit, but he said, this is how God showed love among us. He sent true unconditional love should always motivate us to action. This is how God demonstrated his love toward us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Let's think about that. God demonstrated his love toward us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, "This is this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins." And then a familiar a very familiar passage for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Again, true, unconditional love, as God intends it, will always motivate us to action. And he demonstrated that. John 3, sorry, Romans 5, eight. It's the next one. But God demonstrated His love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, as I said when I first, this love is different from others, from the other references of love in the New Testament, because of its nature and character. What is it? Unconditional and sacrificial. God can love others in this way, at all times. We are commanded to love others and we could, with his help, love others unconditionally. That, that's how we ought to. But we cannot love everybody unconditionally and we cannot do it at all times, even though we should aspire to do so. But God desires us to love one another unconditionally. We'll, we have a, a reference that I'll, I'll speak to in a little while. Then we move on to phileo. Brotherly love, for example, best friends or loved ones. Uh, First Samuel is uh, uh, chapter eighteen, verse one to two is the passage that came to mind when I got into, got down to this particular love. The the verse there is, uh, in verse one of of First Samuel eighteen, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, meaning David. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father. That is when uh, David came to play the harp for Saul because he was being tormented um, because of his disobedience to God. And when he he had met David for the first time and Jonathan uh, got to meet David, they became best friends. And I'm sure you're familiar with the story. This is the type of love that uh, is described uh, in Phileo. First John 4, 7-8, verse 11 and 19-21. to 21. Notice, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. As I said earlier, it it is amazing how we can tell a person who has a close, intimate relationship with God. It is evident by how they live. You You can see by the way they conduct themselves, the way in which they reach out to others. Their love is not what you would call pretense because it is continuous. It is something that you can rely on. And then verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love Because he first loved us. Anyone who says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. (laughs) that's in the Bible I didn't write that see this is where it becomes very practical for us very practical and as you take time and you you go through this verse and you ponder and you say you know Lord how how can I make this relevant to me how can I personalize this verse? For me personally, how could I reconcile my love for you and my love for this person who don't speak to me, who, who don't care two hoots about me? You sit on and you ponder that verse. How is it that I can reconcile my love for you, Lord. Even though I have never seen you. But I must love this one. I see. But he pretend as though he don't see me. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider. Notice. We must consider: how could we spur one another on toward love and good deeds? That's something you and I must take the initiative to do. How can I, how can I uh, consider how I can inspire one another, uh, on toward love and good deeds? Have you ever considered that? How could I spur anthon? How could I spur Paul on toward love and good deeds? But, but we are we are admonished in the scriptures to do that. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as we see that day approaching. He say, let us. See, we are all in this together. This is not a one-man show. This Christian life that God has called us to is not a one-man band or one-man show. We are all in this together and when one falls, all of us should make sure someone go low enough to help him up. Why? Because that is what we admonish as Christians to do. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. So if you haven't seen someone out for a while, what are you supposed to do? Pick up the phone and call. Why? Because maybe something going on that he can't handle, something going on that he don't know how to deal with, but he, he probably just needs some word of encourage from, encouragement from somebody. He, maybe that's what he was waiting for. Maybe that's something he just needed right then. But let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us encourage one another and all the more as we see that they're approaching. And then Jesus says himself in Matthew 22, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Um, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you love yourself? I ask you again, do you love yourself? Well, according to Jesus in Matthew 22, you're supposed to love your neighbor the same way. How do you reconcile that? That's a good question. But that is what Jesus himself said that we ought to do. Now, what are some tangible ways we as believers can show true Christian love for one another? Again, when I asked myself that question as I was preparing, uh, the passage in Luke 10, the parable that Jesus, again, Jesus told about the good Samaritan, came to mind. Very tangible way in which we could. Again, you're familiar with the story. Um, a man left Jerusalem, headed toward Jericho. He was attacked, beaten and robbed, and left to die on the side of the road. Who was the first one to come by? A priest, right? And then who was the next one to come? A Levite. His own countrymen. And the next one to come by was a Samaritan. Now, why do you think Jesus emphasized and used the Samaritan as an example? Because the Jews looked down on the Samaritans as second-class citizens. But the one in which they was looked down upon was the very one who came by, took pity on him, put oil and wine on his wounds, bandaged him up, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn and gave the innkeeper some money and said, listen, take care of him. If you spend anything other than, or if you exceed what I just gave you on my return trip, I will pay the difference. Okay? What is Jesus saying? The Samaritan, who was looked down upon, took the one who looked down on him, bandaged him up, put him on his donkey while he walked, took him to an inn, giving the impression of lodging and food, paid for him, and offered to cover any additional expense on his return. But who was he? They were considered enemies. They were second-class citizens. I wondered, and this is where my mind got going as I sat and pondered that, I wonder what his reaction was when his own countrymen walked by on the other side but this one who they consider a second class citizen made provisions for him took care of all his needs. As a matter of fact what I have written here he met his whole need because he took care of his body physically he transported him to the inn and he put a roof over his head plus food. He took care, he met his whole need. But yet, he was one who was looked down upon as a second-class citizen. But Jesus told the parable to us to emphasize there's no such thing. You see? So who is your neighbor? From Jesus' perspective, anybody who have a need, anyone who have a need, there's no such thing as a second-class citizen. Acts 2 was 44 to 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen now, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily all those who were being saved. See, when a person who is not a Christian see that kind of love in action, they fall to the Holy Spirit's power they experienced something they've never saw before. You see? It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. And if a believer was in the midst who went without because he didn't have, but there was somebody else over here who had, they say, hold on. let's, 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 Let's get rid of this. Let's sell this. And the money was given to someone in need. That was established in the early church. That was, the, that was uh, the practice from the very beginning in the early church. But it didn't end there. As you know, the believers were scattered because of persecution. This was encouraged and supported by the rest of the apostles. And everywhere they went, this is what was practiced. Why? Because they saw the power of God working in the lives of others when they had love one for another. Then First John three seventeen. if anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need, but have no pity or compassion on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's the question. The implication here is, if you claim to have the love of God in you and have material possessions and see your brother in need, that love that you claim to have should move you to respond with pity and compassion. Hebrews 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. The implication here is, where you are able, always be willing to offer hospitality and assistance to those in need, or take them to someone who you know can help them. In Acts 15, uh, it says, Sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go and visit the brothers in all the towns where we have preached and see how they are doing. See, sometimes, showing brotherly love does not always have to involve giving something tangible. What it could involve is an encouraging word, Are listening ear. Just saying prayer. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting together as believers and having fellowship. See, that was what was practiced in the early church. It wasn't just about giving away stuff. Because not all of us are in a position to do so. But as believers, it's just sometimes we ain't looking for handouts, you know. Sometimes people just need to know that, look, I, I just, they just need to know you care. They just need to know that you, you know, say a prayer for me, man. We're going through a little struggle. You know, we, we, it don't mean you're in Christians. Sometimes you just, just need someone to hang out with. You just need someone to be a friend to you. It doesn't always involve having to give something away. We see the example when Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha. He just, he just sat down and had a meal with them. There's lessons to be learned in fellowship. There's encouragement just in fellowship. And so, as you have opportunity, reach out. You never know when that is the very thing that they needed to get them back on track or back in fellowship, either with one another or with their relationship with the Lord. Okay. All right, and now eros. The word eros, again from the Greek, from which we get the English word erotic, is the word used to express sexual love. That is, love expressed between a husband and a wife. The Song of Solomon comes to mind. Even though this type of love has been corrupted down through the ages, it was always God's intention that the expression of this type of love be reserved exclusively for a husband and wife. Unfortunately, Hollywood, together with society, has so influenced the church or Christendom that to preach and teach sexual purity until marriage and to keep the marriage bed pure evokes criticism And the label of being narrow-minded. But Hollywood is not our standard. Jesus is. I say it again. Hollywood or the standards we see on television, they're not our standard. Jesus is. And he says, the marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. So, even though you don't see this word eros... Uh, Emphasized strongly in the New Testament. This type of love between husband and wife is just as relevant then as it is, I mean, today as it was then, but it is reserved exclusively for husband and wife. Now, how would you describe love? Well, verse 4 to 7 of 1 um, Corinthians 13 there are 15 descriptions of what love is and what it is not 7 are positive, 8 are negative in verse 13 of verse, in chapter 13 verse 4 love is patient love is kind it does not envy, it does not boast it is not proud, it is not rude it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs it does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Patient, I'll take him individually. A person with the willingness and humility to bear up under trials without complaining. Kind, someone who by nature is sympathetic and caring, having a pleasant disposition. They always have a willingness to share with others, no matter how small, does not envy. A person who does not entertain resentful thoughts or feelings of another's uh, thoughts or feelings because of another's disadvantages, sorry. A person who does not entertain resentful thoughts or feelings because of another's advantages. It does not boast. Is not puffed up with pride that leads to boasting. In other words, they do not use their bragging rights or big up themselves. It is not proud. Describes a person who does not have an inflated ego or one who is not egocentric or arrogant. Is not rude. Describes a person who is not disrespectful and who does not display or engage in behavior unbecoming of a Christian. It is not self-seeking. Describes a person who is thoughtful of others and places their interests above their own. It's not easily angered. Describes a person who remains composed and not lose their cool when provoked. They know when to hold their tongue. Keeps no record of wrongs. This describes a person who refuses to hold on to resentment and grudges to bring up again in an effort to get even does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This describes someone who does not rejoice over other people's misfortune. Instead, they seek the best for them and share in their joys and sorrows. Someone who will also give the benefit of the doubt and not malign someone else's character because they place value on the integrity of others. It always protects this describes a person who lovingly defends others even at their own risk. Always trusts. This describes a person who is not suspicious about everything or any, everyone and is secure in their relationships. Always hopes. This describes a person who is at peace with God and is quietly confident that all will be well despite their present circumstances, and always perseveres. This describes a person who is focused, committed, and faithful, no matter the circumstances they hang in there. None of these, thing, none of these character traits or disciplines is developed overnight. However, they should not be embraced haphazardly or taken lightly, each day, each of us as Christians with the help of the Holy Spirit should seek to live in submission to God so that we please Him in every situation, whether it is in the assembly, in our home, on the job, or in the community. With the enabling, and enablement of the Holy Spirit, we must seek to reflect at all times the heart of Christ. My friends, that is what the Lord impressed on my heart. Calvary Bible Church as an assembly, we can use a touch of this love, not that we are Not that we are not a loving church. There's always room for improvement. There's always room that we can do more. I prayed long and hard as to what the Lord would have me share when we were making up the schedule. And looking back over how, over the last five weeks, how four different people, touched on the same scriptures. I believe God is saying something to CBC because those verses were shared right here by four different people. And so, if some of this God has used to touch your heart with his help, you just between you and him, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? That is personal between you and him. As I said, none of these are developed overnight. It's not easy to love your enemy. But God expects us to do so. It is not easy to love unconditionally. But you know, God didn't put no additives The standard he set is love as I have loved you. So the fact that he set that standard implies that we can do it. Not in our own strength, but with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And so, we must make sure that each day, We endeavor, with his help, to live to please others. As I said when I started, if you have commitment cards from this morning and you came prepared tonight to turn in the tear-off section or if you have a, a contribution already allocated, they can be received as you leave or before you leave. Please don't forget to leave it. Um, Very much needed by a wonderful ministry. Pause with me as we close in prayer. Father, thank you again for these few minutes to share what I felt you impressed on my heart. You know each of us personally and intimately. I just ask my father that you would do in my heart as well as each other's heart here tonight. What you desire. You said when your word goes out, it will not come back to you void, but it will accomplish your desires and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. Lord, do that tonight. And in the days ahead. Accomplish what you desire. And in our lives, may you be uplifted. And may you alone be glorified. So we give you thanks. In Jesus name. Amen.